Today, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the conclusion of this series, as I've been going through, entitled it, Be Ready. Talked about being ready to tell, being ready to gather, being ready to partner, being ready to give. And today, we're looking at being ready to sacrifice. Of course, it's the Lord's Supper. Christ sacrificed his life. He is the greatest, greatest evidence, model of sacrifice there ever was. But I want to give you, as far as introduction goes, there's a book series and a movie series that uh, my family and I like to watch. It's entitled The Hunger Games. And just to tell you a little bit about it, the name of the movie is a yearly event in the movie, okay, that selects two people from each district to compete against tributes from other districts. From District 12, we're introduced in the movie to Prim, Katniss, Gail, and Peta. Now, there's a host of other characters in the movie because there's like five of them. But nonetheless, these are your four primary characters in my personal opinion. People from the capital come each year for what they call the reaping, where the two people from each district are taken called tributes. There's usually a male and a female. There's always a male and a female. They battle in the Hunger Games, trying to survive one another and the environment. In the first movie, Prim, this is Katniss's younger sister, is chosen as tribute, but Katniss volunteers herself as the tribute. The point in this is that Katniss will not allow her sister to be taken by this power of the capital for their sport or their intimidation. Katniss understood, as did the vast majority of those taken as tribute, that once you leave your home, the likelihood of you coming home is extremely low. She sacrificed her life for her sisters. It was a bold and dangerous decision. Sacrifice is a word that means to offer to a deity or to give up something for another. We offer our lives to Christ as a living sacrifice. We are not fleshly selves once surrendered to Christ. We are regenerated and redeemed, made new into children of God. Paul wrote this letter, this letter of Romans, to those living in Rome. They knew the difficulty in confessing Christ, the sacrifice that was to come, because Paul wrote what it took Christ, what it took of Christ, and what it demands of us. So as we look here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I'll read this short passage of Scripture to you, and then we will break this down and look at it uh, in the points that I have this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reads like this from the New King James. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you today as we come on a day of remembrance where we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember your broken body and your shed blood that was in our place for us, for our sins. So God, I pray, Lord, today that as we gather together that we will come with a worshipful heart one that is grateful and thankful for the sacrifice that you so freely gave. God, I pray, Lord, today that as we have seen it in your life 
And as we are called Christians, those of us who have called upon you as Lord and Savior, as Christians, Lord, we are to be ready to sacrifice our lives for the work and the cause of Christ. God, let us not be complacent or casual Christians. Let us be Christians. Let there be no adjective before it. Let us be like you in every manner of life. And Lord, let us give. Let us, let us gather. Let us go. Let us sacrifice. Let us tell. Let us partner, Lord, for your sake, for your kingdom's glory. God, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live lives that bring honor and glory to you and to you alone. And Lord, that will and must take sacrifice. Lord, we love you. We praise you in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, when Paul starts off this particular passage, he is calling out to those that have made professions of faith. Those that have called upon Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he says, first off, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, to beseech someone. That is old language. We don't use that anymore, do we? But that means to implore someone. It means to, to, to call out to them with an urgent plea. Actually, the Greek authorities tell us that the verb used here is a strong word, a very hard word to translate in English. It means I beg you earnestly, I entreat you, and I exhort you is what it means. It has a deep meaning as if God himself were pleading in the greatest way for one to listen. In Paul's writing, he's like, I beseech you, pay close attention, I beg you to listen to what I'm about to say. And when we call out to people, we should be compelled by Christ to call on people to listen and to reason and to think and to understand what does it mean to be called to sacrifice? What does it mean to uh, a call to give up one's life for Christ? Today, we just think it means I give up a couple hours on Sunday many a times. They don't understand. You are forsaking the way of life that you've known forever. You're saying, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for Jesus. I want to bring glory to him in my speech, in my thoughts, in my actions. I want to give it all to him. And so you're being called upon. You're being, there's a plea sent out from your teachers, from your preacher, from those that are around you. Come to Christ. Die to yourself. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and all things have become new. It's not a changing. It's not just a modifying or an adapting. It's a new you. And he says, I beseech you. I call upon you, brethren. These are people who have been changed by the grace of God. These are those that have experienced the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. They've experienced the fact that the wrath of God is no longer on them. So many times we in a New Testament church, we forget that the wrath of God is laying on the shoulders of those who have not called out in repentance and called upon Christ. And we just think, oh, we just need to coddle them. No, we need to tell them about Jesus. If not, they're on a road to hell. There's only two destinations for the soul, heaven or hell. And as believers, we want to think, and we want to be patient, and we want to be kind, and we want to be tolerant, and we want to be all these different things. We need to be Christ-like and tell. 
Now we need to do it with gentleness and meekness. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't say come and be disrespectful and rude and ugly. But it does say you got to tell. We can't just think, well, I guess God's going to save them somehow and us do nothing. So Paul is writing this and he says to those in Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, how? What is the mode of this sacrifice? Why, what is the mode of which our sacrifice comes? It's by the mercies of God. It is by the mercies of God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The very facts from the previous chapter, if you go back into chapter 11 and even further on back, concerning God's mercy to hell-deserving sinners should cause us to want to present our bodies a living sacrifice and we should desire to be holy brethren. God is merciful toward us. He doesn't have to be. He didn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. But he chooses to be. God is under no obligation. He had no obligation to us. But out of his great love, he chose to come and demonstrate his love for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever will believe, upon, will believe upon him will not die, but will have eternal life. My brain just went blank in the middle of that verse uh, because I stuttered. But we know that Christ gives his life for us. He gives and he shows his mercy toward us. What a great gift of mercy and it is out of the mercy of God and through the mercy of God that we present our bodies as sacrifice it's what we do it's what God's called us to do God's called us to give to him to give to Christ out of the fact that he has shown us a great mercy and when someone shows mercy there should always be a sense of gratitude under servitude there should always be a sense of gratitude under servitude when you've experienced mercy. You know, I, I've watched several movies. I like movies. Obviously, I quoted a little bit or told you a little bit about a movie series that I've watched. But you, you see these folks and they'll, they'll, they'll say, you saved my life. I think about, um, oh, Harry Potter. I think about Harry Potter and I think about the, the little, the little uh, dwarf guy, God, Dobby. Dobby, and he says, you saved my life, Harry Potter. I owe my life to you. So he, he gives his life, and he serves Harry Potter until, unfortunately, I'm not going to tell you what happens. But Dobby served Harry Potter because Harry Potter had saved his life. Christ has saved our lives. The least we could do is serve him. We serve the Lord we serve the Lord with gladness, as the song says. And we should serve him faithfully and diligently, even to the point of sacrifice. We serve the Lord. Mercy compels without language and motivates without guilt. That's what mercy does. Mercy compels without language and motivates without guilt. Let's look at the next portion. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the service in sacrifice. 
there is service and sacrifice for the believer. There is first a presented sacrifice. He says that you present your bodies. You need to present your body. The Christian believes that his body belongs to God just as much as his soul does. And that he can serve him just as well with his body as with his mind or his spirit. That's what Barclay says in his commentary. We are to give our bodies to Christ just as much as we give our minds and our spirits to Christ. It should not stop with a head knowledge or a heart knowledge. It should continue until there is a body functioning for the glory of God to give Him all that we have. It is a presented sacrifice. We see this. Christ is the, is the ever model, the ever existent model of what this looks like. A, the service is sacrifice. Jesus modeled service is sacrifice by presenting Himself as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice before the Father just as we should. That's what Christ did. So Paul basically says, take your body. Take all your tasks that you have to do every day. Take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the shipyard, the mine, the bank, the business, the medical field. And offer all that as an act of worship to God. Where God has you is your place of service to the Lord. And you need to give that to Him. Your attitude, your work ethic, your communication, your speech, your reaction, whether you're in middle school or high school, if you're in the workplace, if you're in college, wherever it is, where that is is your service in sacrifice for the Lord. We have to give that to Christ. We should not be ashamed to present ourselves before the Lord because He is our Father and we are His children. We should not be ashamed to present our bodies because we desire and pursue a life that is pleasing to Him and are not defiling our bodies. We're not choosing to do things that desecrate this temple in which the Lord Jesus resides, in which the Holy Spirit indwells and seals. I know this body one day will be turned back to dust, but while my spirit is dwelling inside of it, I want to tell you, I'm going to give all of me to all of Christ. You and I cannot sit here and take a day off. You know, I hear about athletes all the time, and now they've got this rest that they do in the NBA, and they'll let them play for three or four days, and they'll rest them for a day, and they'll rest them for three, they'll play a week, and then they'll take two days off. And listen, the Lord ain't called us to take a days off. God, when He calls out to us, we're to give Him every day, every moment of our lives. We don't get that opportunity. We're not supposed to take that opportunity. We're supposed to live every day, every moment for the glory of Christ and for His kingdom's expansion. That's the reason why God's called us to do those things. We are to be a presented sacrifice for the Lord. We're to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. A living sacrifice, as the scripture says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oliver Green, in his commentary on Romans, he wrote this. People often say, I'm willing to die for Jesus. That is honorable. But let me say very humbly that God does not necessarily want you and me to die for Jesus as much as he desires for us to live for Jesus. 
He wants us to live for Jesus. We've got to make the choice that today I wake up to live for Jesus. Not for me, not for others, but I wake up to live for Jesus. Now when you live for Jesus, you are going to be living for the opportunity for others to come to faith in Jesus Christ or to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. That's a part of it, for sure. But if you'll wake up every day and say, I choose to live for Jesus. I choose to give this day to Jesus. Start it off reading the Word of God. Take some time for yourself. Cut aside. A few weeks ago, uh, or last Sunday evening, we had our discipleship group. We talked about silence and solitude. And, and listen, that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. I'm telling you. I tried it several times this week. I'd love to say that I did it every day, but I did not. I did read my Bible every day. The silence of solitude is challenging for me. I'm just telling you. It's always been, and my wife will attest to that. I'm not good with silence. And solitude. So, so we've got to take those times and, and offer ourselves to the Lord and say, Today, I live for Jesus. And since there is one sacrifice for sin for all time that was accomplished at Calvary, there's no longer a need for dead sacrifices. What God wants is that we present ourselves to him a living sacrifice, putting ourselves into his hands for his pleasure. God calls on us to be a living sacrifice. Now, at some extent, there may be people who have followed Christ into different areas. You think about Jim Elliott. If you've ever heard the story of Jim Elliott, ever saw the movie, The End of the Spear, where he goes in and flies in to share the gospel with an unreached people group, and he ends up dying. And then his wife later comes back, and she lives with the people, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. What an amazing story. He did live. He offered his body as a living sacrifice. But his wife came back and finished the service and God blessed it because he was giving his life as a living sacrifice but it ended up dying in the process. God calls us to live for him. If we die, so be it. But live. Live for Jesus. Don't wait till there's no more life left. Live now. Offer your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And give that to him. And it should be a holy and acceptable sacrifice, as the scripture says there. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. As the Levitical priest, excuse me, as the Levitical sacrifices, when offered without blemish to God, were regarded as holy, so believers yielding themselves to God as those that are alive from the dead are their members, as instruments of righteousness unto God are, in God's eyes, not ritually, but really holy and acceptable unto God. That's the way our lives should be. Holy and acceptable unto God. Yielding and giving our bodies as noble instruments for the cause of Christ. That's what God's given us these bodies for. And holiness is now an attainable attribute due to God's, excuse me, due to Christ washing us through regeneration. Now we will never be pure holiness until we get into heaven. But we are to pursue holiness and we've been made holy by Christ. We're still going to have sin that taints our life from time to time. But we, have, we need to pursue 
Christ in holiness. It is to be pursued and sought after by putting away the old man through submission to the lordship of Christ and adherence to the guiding and compelling of the Holy Spirit. That's how we become more holy. We, we, are, we are made holy through Christ's shed blood on us, but there's sin in our lives. We must confess and repent and turn away and live for Christ so that holiness of, of God will be, when we offer ourselves to Him time and time again, it is holy in His presence. Our worship is a sweet aroma to Him because our pursuit of holiness is real and not just spoken, but lived out by a living sacrifice. And when we are desiring this way of life and righteousness of life, our offering of ourselves is acceptable to Christ. It is acceptable to Christ. When we want to please our Father and want to live in the likeness of Christ, our bodies as vessels for noble purposes is a worthy offering and sacrifice to the Lord. Our bodies, you know, during this time in, in the writing of this, there were different uh, groups that believed the body was, was no good. The body had no value. But Christ says the whole person has value to Christ. Christ says the whole body, I mean, what you do with your body, it's important what you do with your body. How you take care of yourself, how you honor God through your body. It's not just your spirit. You can't just sit around and ho-hum, meditate, read the Bible, and think that everything's okay. you got to do something with it. And how do you do something with it? You act and you live. You've got the hands and the feet of God. Why did God use the body as an illustration of the church? Because it's supposed to be active. It's supposed to be moving and working. And it's the same way with our individual lives. It's not just supposed to be a head knowledge. It's not just you coming here and you hear, oh, wow, Brother Blake's preached again. It was a great message. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for the message. And you go out and do nothing with it. You've told nobody about Jesus. You've served nobody. You've helped nobody. There's no value in what you've gained. There's, well, let me take that. There's very little value in what you've gained. Very little value. I don't want to say there's none, but there's very little value in what you've gained if you don't take what you've learned and put into action. I coached basketball for years. I mean, what if I went to practice all the time, had the kids sit down, and all I did was draw up plays. This is how you do a play. This is how you do a play. This is how you do a play. And then, like, we got out there on the time when it kind of played the basketball game. They're like, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. It did them no good, did it? Because we didn't get out there and do nothing with it you got to put the body into work for the Lord. Listen, I'm going to challenge you. Starting this Wednesday night, we're going to start doing something on Wednesday night, and it's called the three circles. The three circles. And it's how you can share the gospel on the napkin with somebody if you're out at a restaurant. We're going to go through it with our teenagers, our adults. We're all meeting together out in the gym. We're going to go through the three circles. And we're going to walk through this on how to share the gospel with anybody and everybody. And why am I doing this? Well, it's a twofold reason. One, you need to know how to share the gospel. Many of you are still wearing your armbands. Keep those on. It's real easy. They're bright. Most of the time they work better with kids. But sometimes adults ask questions too. But the three circles, you can have a conversation with them. And you can tell them. Be ready to tell. And if you're at a restaurant, there's always a napkin. And you should be able to access a pen at least by the end when you're signing your check if you're at a sit-down restaurant. 
And you can write these things out and you can share the gospel with your waitress, waiter, or whomever may be coming by. And we're going to learn that. And it's, that's the number one reason. The second reason why is because in March, we're going to be going through a sermon series called, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And I'm going to challenge each and every one of you to choose one person to pray for, ask God to give you a gospel conversation with, and then share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We're going to be going through that in March. We'll conclude that the week before Easter. So prayerfully on Easter, man, I would love to see not just the normal Easter service. I want to see an Easter service with water ran in that baptistry. I want to see people saved by the grace of God. Listen, church isn't just about gaining knowledge. Worship is not just about gaining knowledge. Worship is so much more. Worship is every day. Worship is every day. We've got to tell people about Jesus. They're going to one or two destinations. One or two, as I said earlier. They're either going to heaven or to hell. And we've got to tell them. And so we offer our bodies, we offer our lives to Jesus Christ for noble purposes. And we prepare ourselves in that way. Come on Wednesday nights. It'll be the next at least five weeks that we're going to be going through this. You're going to practice on one another. It's how we're going to do it. And you're going to know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody very quickly on a napkin. Three circles. Come on Wednesday nights. There's my plea for Wednesday nights. Now, point number four. There's a command of sacrifice. There's a command of sacrifice. Look there in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is that? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's two things here. First, do not conform to the world. Listen, as I said before, Jesus is our greatest model of what a living sacrifice looked like. Jesus was our greatest example. Jesus was tempted to conform when Satan tempted him. Yet Jesus overcame through the word of God, didn't he? The Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert. You do realize that, right? He didn't follow Satan out there because Jesus don't follow Satan. All right? God don't follow Satan, okay? That, don't, that ain't how it works. So anyway, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out there, and then he was tempted by Satan. But yet Jesus, and Satan's whole goal was to conform Jesus to the world. You know, what do we want? We want riches. We want notoriety. What did Satan do? Hey, you want riches? You want notoriety? Test the Lord. Test the Father. Jesus overcame every one of them with the Word of God. The devil wants us to conform to the world. He wants us to conform to the world. And listen, this word, the Greek word for conform is translated fashion in 1 Peter 1.14. Not fashioning yourselves according to is how that language is there in 1 Peter 1.14. So in other words, we are not to fashion our lives after this present age. We're not supposed to fashion our lives after this present age. We're supposed to fashion our lives after this present book. That's where we fashion our lives. And it might not be cool or in cultural fashion, but I don't care. I don't have to be cool. I told those kids down there at the Baptist Campus Ministry this past week, I said, look, I'm too old to worry about being cool. I ain't worried about it no more. I just want to tell you about Jesus. I ain't worried about looking cool. I used to be worried about that stuff, but I ain't that worried about it anymore. What I'm worried about is, are you getting the Word of God in your heart and in your life? Are you getting it? Are you, are you being able to absorb it? Are you letting it change you? That's what's most important. 
That's what's most important. Conforming is compromising to culture, not committing to Christ. When you commit to Christ, there is no old you being modified. It is a completely new you. As I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, if he is in Christ, not about him, not around him, not close to him, not in the church. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, old things, excuse me, I, I typed that twice in my notes. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Your thought pattern, your words, your speech, your fashion, your nonconformity has now become new. Because before you were conforming all the time. And when you conform, conform is an issue of internally. You're conforming. But I want to talk about when you transform. He says, do not conform, but be ye, as the King James says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a command. Do not conform, be transformed. And if you're like me and you're of my age group, the first thing that comes to your mind is transformers. More than meets the eye. And there should be more than meets the eye in the believer. There should be so much more. But when we look at this word, to be transformed means to be metamorphosized. Ooh, that's a big word. It's a big word, metamorphosized. Just think about uh, a worm, trans, uh, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's metamorphosis. It's changed. It looks totally different, but it's still the same creature, okay? Still the same thing, but totally different as you and I. There was a form of us before Christ, but there's a brand new form afterwards. Before, you crawled everywhere you went, you inched, you got there in a long time. But later, now you got wings. Not that you would get wings when you go to heaven. That's false, false truth. Nothing like that in heaven, okay? But when you get changed by Christ here on this earth, you're new. All things have become new. Not some things, not a few things. Everything becomes new. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the old things have passed away. It's an obvious and purposeful change in your life. There's only one other time in Scripture that the same Greek word is used for transform, and it's in Titus 3.5. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that transformation is in that washing of regeneration is where that language is used. The miracle of renewing is the work of the Holy Spirit. Man cannot renew himself in the spiritual sense. You and I can try to reform and make ourselves new, but the old nature will eventually take over again. The only way you truly become new is when Christ comes in to you. It's the only way you become new. And the renewing of the mind has a purpose. It has a purpose. It's to prove what is good. What is good all of God's commandments, expectations, and gifts are good. And we must discern if they are of God. And when you've renewed your mind through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you're able to do that, you'll be able to determine what is the good will of God. You'll be able to determine the acceptable will of God. We're not making, we're not making God's will acceptable. We are working through the Holy Ghost to accept the will of God for our lives. 
And then to be able to prove what is the perfect will of God. The will of God is always perfect in the middle of our imperfection. We may not or most likely will not understand it, but His will is perfect. His will is perfect. There's a song on the radio right now and it says something to the extent of, if it's not good, if it's not good, then he's not done with you yet. Uh, it's by Tarn Wells, I believe. And he sings that, if, if, he's not done, if it's not good, then he's not done with you yet. Because the scripture tells us, for God works all things for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So if it's not good yet, just keep holding on. It's going to be good. That good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And if it's from God, it's going to be good. And if it's from God, it's going to be acceptable. And if it's from God, it's going to be perfect. But you may not think that's perfect for you, but it's God's will, so it is perfect. <laughs> Hard pill to swallow sometimes, but that's just how it is. So when we conclude and we think about this, our minds apart from Christ and our bodies apart from Christ are sinful and wretched. Our wants and desires fall short of Christ's glory. When our minds are transformed and our bodies are submitted to Christ, we can come boldly before the Lord in submission to His good, acceptable, and perfect will. And His will for you today is to repent. To repent and believe the gospel. That's God's will for you today. I guarantee it. I know it because His Word tells us that. And so the question is, is will you be a living sacrifice for the Lord? 